Hey y'all and welcome back to Bedroom Talks where we get financially intimate. I'm your host Dr. Michelle Marie and today we're talking about marketing and finances for neurodivergent entrepreneurs with our guest Andrew McDonald also known as the neurodivergent copywriter. Andrew is a marketing professional who specializes in helping neurodivergent entrepreneurs launch and scale their businesses. He cuts through the noise from the gurus and experts about just put yourself out there, which can often be damaging for neurodivergent people. Instead, he guides neurodivergent business owners in finding pathways to success that honor who they are and work for them. Andrew is also the author of a free guide to building a marketing campaign as a neurodiverse entrepreneur. If you're a neurodivergent entrepreneur and you're interested in learning more about neurodiversity and marketing and finances, this episode is for you. Hey y'all, get under the covers and get comfortable because we're about to get intimate. No, not that kind of intimate, but close. Did you know that three of the most intimate conversations we can have are sex, mental health, and finances? Probably didn't expect that last one, did you? Financial challenges are actually one of the leading causes of divorce and stress today. A big reason? We don't talk about it. At least not thoroughly anyhow. That's where I come in. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Marie, a certified wealth coach, best-selling author, and the creator of Bedroom Talks. Get Financially Intimate, a podcast focused on bringing awareness to the importance of financial intimacy and enticing openness to get real in a judgment-free zone. Together, we're going to cover a multitude of financial topics so you can leap toward financial freedom with confidence. Are you ready? Grab your wine or whatever drink you prefer and let's unrobe this topic. Hey y'all, I am so excited to have Andrew here with us today and get this conversation started. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It's absolutely a pleasure. Um, so let's just go ahead and get into this. Okay. Um, I like to just get, get right in there. And, um, basically the way I want to kind of start this conversation is to ask you if you can give us a little bit of background about you that maybe I didn't talk about in your intro. Okay. So, um, how did you, come to the place you are with being passionate about marketing in the specific niche that you're in. Uh, we'll just start there. Yeah. I mean, the reason that I in this niche is because I came to, I started my own business a couple of years ago and was hit by sort of that noise from the gurus and experts that I spoke that I that you spoke about um earlier and found that it just didn't work for me. I mean the 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 kind of the things like 
six figures in six months, um, make money in your pajamas, that kind of thing that you could literally go from zero to hero um, overnight. And I found that that wasn't my reality. And I'd always kind of, I'd always struggled with my mental health um with anxiety and with depression um and i mean the if you like the 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 expected result out of not meeting those sort of targets that gurus and experts had spoken about um the 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 the, the natural result for somebody who's prone to depression and anxiety was that depression and anxiety got deep and got accelerated. And I had to step back and really take a look at what it was that wasn't working for me. And I just found that the that these ideas of just putting yourself out there um, kind of, you know, networking in person constantly was a challenge it, it drained me um so, so sending cold emails constantly you know every day sending as many cold emails as you can and the fact that to be honest with you it's very difficult to get respond no matter how good your cold emails are it's very difficult to get responses from them you know so there's a lot of rejection that comes with that and it just made my it made my mental health worse and worse to the point where i had to look at myself and say okay what's going on and i really did a deep dive and i started to look into neurodiversity because i felt that i felt that there was something going on with me and the more that i looked into it the more that i fit fitted the bill for somebody who could be described as neurodiverse you know i've got rejection sensitivity dysphoria um i have ocd i have trauma issues and i mean i don't want this to become a pity party but what i found by learning those things of about myself was that my personality was clashing against the advice that i was getting from the gurus and the experts so i had to kind of look and try and find was there a different way of doing things and eventually i did find those different ways of doing things but what kind of spurred my passion for going into this niche was if i'm like this there has to be lots of other people who are like this. And the role that I would like to play in that is smoothing the path and quickening up the path for people kind of coming up behind me who are starting their own businesses and are struggling with the same issues so that they can find success without going to some of the damaging places that I went to and they can find success more quickly. I first off just want to thank you for your um, openness 
and willingness to share about this. And um, I'm sure that, you know, you're probably already past processing that, you know, the willingness and openness having had a business, but coming on to a podcast like this and, you know, putting it out there to whoever happens to be listening, you have no control at this point. Once, once this recording goes out, you have no control on, you know, who listens to it. Right. And, and that can be a lot for individuals um, that are dealing with, with things of this nature is that thought of, oh my gosh, what if somebody hears what I have to say? Right. But people need to hear what you have to say. Right. Um, I will, as we, uh, move on, you're going to hear a little bit more about this, but I will uh, basically disclose, and this is, this will be the first time that I'm saying it publicly. Um, this week, I got confirmation of something that I, I honestly didn't expect per se. Um, and that is that I am, I have a, a mild ADHD. Okay. I've been diagnosed with my, a mild case of ADHD and I'm very likely dealt with it my entire life and just didn't know. I thought I had dyslexia and turns out um, there actually may be another thing that's happening that I'm waiting on the final results on that for. But I have now discovered that I apparently have uh, ADHD and have my whole life. And I didn't know that. But now that I understand more about it, it explains a lot of things about me. Um, and it just, it makes me more excited to have this conversation too, because now I can learn even more about myself. But before I, I go any further into this, I want to ask you, do you mind from your perspective and what you know about it for any, anyone listening that might be going, what the heck are they talking about? Mm -hmm. Can you explain what neurodiversity is? It's, it's, it, 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 it's something that I think that we need to be careful about describing because I think the key word in it is diversity. There are so many different um, things that fit into, into mm -hmm. neurodiversity. So... I mean, with your ADHD um, diagnosis, you would fit into the description of what neurodiversity means. Mm -hmm. But so do I. I don't have ADHD. Correct. My neurodiversities, as I mentioned earlier, are rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, um, OCD, and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Those are my main three. There's quite possibly an undiagnosed autism issue there, but um, I haven't gone deep into that, so I'm not going to kind of I'm not going to kind of refer to that too much. But I suppose the, the easiest way of describing neurodiversity is it's how a person's brain mind if you like interacts with the world mm -hmm. in a way that is different from the majority of people who are neurotypical now we have to be careful again when we say that because that doesn't mean that they can do xyz or they can't do 
ABC. It's not a limitation. It's just a different way of interacting with the world. So, right. for example, you know, the, the let's let's take somebody who's neurotypical, who doesn't have um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Rejection sensitivity dysphoria is basically that you feel real emotional and physical pain when you are rejected mm. and it can be it can be traumatic somebody who doesn't have that probably is able to for example use cold emailing for a lot longer than somebody who does have it because they're not dealing with this extra kind of emotional and physical pain that comes with the, the expected rejection from from sending out call, cold emails. Some people with ADHD, not all, but some people with ADHD have fluctuating, fluctuating energy levels. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are days when they're very, very active and they can get a lot done. There are days when they are just completely drained and they need to you know take they need to relax recharge their batteries and so on i mean i know everybody gets tired but this isn't norm this isn't um you nearly use the word i hate uh, then normal by slip of the tongue <laughs> but this isn't this isn't your everyday um this isn't your everyday tiredness this is something else you know, right. this is literally can't can't do um anything and it, it 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 doesn't mean that they it doesn't mean that they can't achieve the same things as somebody who's 100 percent neurotypical they can mm -hmm. sometimes they can achieve a lot more i mean some of the greatest people in human history have been um have been neurodiverse you know, I, off the top of my head, Einstein, mm -hmm. um, Charles Darwin, um, Muhammad Ali, um, you know, the, the real, real high achievers. But they have the, the, way, the way of interacting with the world was different from those kind of societal norms, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you, you hit it. Um, from what I understand about it, you kind of worded it exactly the way that I would have explained it. And it's just that um, neurodiverse people tend to view the world a little bit differently mm -hmm. because they process a little bit differently, which means that the way they need to maneuver throughout their day to day and throughout their activities has to be a little bit different. Yeah. So understanding that about your yourself and understanding that while you can have two people that are, say, you know, ADHD and this person, person A, you know, may be able to do X, Y, Z in three hours where mm -hmm. person B might need four to six hours to do X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. Like it's just, and that, or they might need to do it in a different order or different time frame, or, you know, it's, it, we're all different mm -hmm. and even more, um, I, I'd, I'd say it like this. Um, sometimes 
we probably need to give ourselves a little bit more grace than what society would call the normal person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I say it like that society yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's yeah. society that has de deemed certain people normal versus, um, what's, what's the word atypical, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, I just want to say for anybody who's listening right now, who maybe starts, you know, is, is, has been wondering whether this applies to them or knows for sure that this applies to them, that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. You are absolutely not alone. And, and that is one of the reasons why I wanted to go ahead and bring Andrew on. So uh, with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit about um, so, so this is a podcast about finances, but also I do have business owners on here because there's a lot of people that I work with and I encounter that are working in their personal finances, but they're also entrepreneurs, right? So you do have some, uh, you know, tips and things like that when it comes to marketing, but I want to kind of start off and ask you, um, at least for a couple of minutes, um, with what you know, you've kind of discovered yourself with about yourself with the neurodiversity. Did you see a challenge with dealing with personal finances because of the neurodiversity or did you have to maneuver differently than maybe somebody who's not neurodiverse would be when it comes to dealing with their finances? It's, um, it, it, it's again, it's something that it, it, very much depends on person to person. I mean, like my OCD means that I kind of have to be on top of my finances all the time. Um, I need to know what's coming out, what's going out, what's coming in. Um, otherwise, my mind can't rest. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, I'm probably more risk adverse than some other people, mm -hmm. you know? So for me, the, I probably take, I probably take slower to achieve my goals than somebody who is willing to throw money at a problem because I have to be very careful. I have to make careful decisions and, that's that's how I'm kind of built and programmed, if you like. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that every neurodiverse person is like me, right? You know, it, it, it's a it's a huge, um, for want of a better word, it's a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. And you will find neurodiverse people who are quite happy to take risk on. You probably find neurodiverse people who their financial behavior could be described as risky. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's not a, it's, it's not a kind of one size fits all thing. And that's really what my work is, is, is about is it's not so much telling people this will work for you because you're neurodiverse. It's opening up people's eyes to alternative uh, solutions that may or may not work better for them. 
Um, and again, with finances, I don't want to say that every neurodiverse person is extremely um, risk adverse when it comes to money. No more than I want to say that neurodiverse people by nature are risky with, with their financial behavior. Mm -hmm. All I can talk about is me. Right. And yeah, I, there are situations where I could probably throw money at a problem um, and accomplish my goal quicker. And I need to get better at doing that. Um, but it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long process. You're talking about changing four mm -hmm. decades of behavior. <laughs> um, so. No, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm very much the same way. I've been for a very long time. I've been very, you know, meticulous, methodical and organized with things. And once I realized that um, my finances were out of order because I wasn't doing that with my finances, it was like a game changer for me. Right. And so now I'm so particular, like I am so, um, <laughs> uh, I am so in, what is the word I'm looking at? I don't even can't think about the word, what the word is specifically, but when I make a purchase for something, if I go to the gas station, if I go to the grocery store, um, go get, you know, something to eat, anything like that, I immediately pull up my budgeting app and I plug it in to show that I spent that money immediately. If I don't do it immediately, I will not remember. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, wait, why am I off? What's going on? Like, I, I have to do it right then and there. And that I've learned, and there's a lot of other things in my life that I do that with, right? Like if I'm, you know, have a thought about an idea of something for social media, I have to write it down or I have to send it to my social media manager immediately. If I don't, I will forget it. And then I'll be frustrated myself. And I'm like, oh, I had a great idea, but I don't remember. And I've learned that that's part of something that people with ADHD often struggle with, that mm -hmm. not being able to remember things like you have to write it down in order to make sure that you don't forget it type of thing, right? And I was just blown away that that is the reason why. Like, And again, like you said, not everybody is going to deal with the same things, the mm -hmm. same symptoms. But talking about this and giving these examples and ideas um, helps give people clarity that, oh, ah, I do that. I didn't realize I do that. Oh, my gosh. That's a connection. That makes sense, right? And especially as entrepreneurs. And with marketing, one of the things that I struggle with marketing all the time is people will say, oh, you know, do, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, I got it. I understand the concept, but then it's hard for me to take that concept and flip it around and make it make sense for my business, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's like giving me the cup, giving me, you know, the flour and giving me some liquid and, and maybe two other ingredients and telling me this is all you need in order to, you know, make a cake. And I'm like, okay, but how do I put it together? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I don't always connect the dots right away. It takes a lot. I have to ask a lot of questions. A lot of clarity. I get frustrated sometimes because I'm like, 
I don't get this. And then by the time I ask three or four, it's like the, it's like children asking five questions, <laughs> like the why, 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 why all the time, right? So by the time I get to like that fifth why, a light bulb goes on because finally they said something that I was missing that I wasn't able to articulate because I didn't know that I was missing that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's, I, I share that because as I've been doing more research recently, about these things that I'm learning about myself, it's connecting now why I am that way. And so I'm giving myself more grace in it, understanding that it's not that I have, like, there's nothing wrong with me because I'm struggling with that. I'm just processing it differently. And I have to do a little more work to figure it out or ask more questions and give myself a little bit more time. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's something that I would say is that um, a lot of a lot of people who are neurodiverse can be very very hard on themselves, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the time it comes from because we are constantly navigating a neurotypical world. There can be trauma issues and by that i don't mean that everybody who is neurodiverse has ptsd or cptsd or Mm -hmm. but you know one of the things that one of the things that i hear from neurodiverse people most often and i certainly feel it myself is that we didn't feel like we fitted in Mm-hmm. You know, when we were in school, in jobs, in social circles, we always felt like we didn't fit in. And the the natural reaction within the human psyche is to blame ourselves for that. And that starts a narrative in your head where you become very tough on yourself. Mm-hmm. And you need, you know we need to give ourselves a break to, you know, we do need yeah. to give ourselves a break and credit for, for what we achieve as well as trying to drive ourselves on to achieve more in the future. Absolutely. I agree. So thinking of that, thinking of, you know, giving ourselves grace, but also charging on, so to speak, in that grace, what are some tips or recommendations that you can give for somebody? And let's tie it into to your niche um, specific to, to marketing. If somebody is an entrepreneur and they recognize, hey, you know what? I am, I relate to this. I am neurodivergent in some capacity. Um, and, and again, like, like you said, these tips and suggestions may not work for everybody. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's something that they could try and see if it does help for them. Do you have any thoughts on that? My biggest, my the biggest advice that I give is to be flexible in terms of your approach to marketing. So what I mean by that is if I look back on what I did initially, I um, I sent cold emails to my head 
exploded nearly and i basically i w- i was on the verge of having a breakdown instead of listening to the sort of warning bells going in my head and looking at different ways of doing things um you know so so now my what underpins my kind of outreach strategy is i um i guest on podcasts you know i i go on people's podcasts i chat with them but more than that i try to build a relationship with the host mm-hmm. um because the host is good enough to give you the space to go on their podcast the, the least you can do is help them to build their um their show build their audience and so on so i network but i network in a very kind of strategic way and i'm building relationships all the time with the so that i'm not looking for at a transactional i'm not looking at a transactional kind of pathway to success i'm looking at a relationship building way to success and the thing that i would say about that is that neurodiverse people a lot of us not all but a lot of us can be uh, are also empaths so <laughs> building relationships with other people is something that we enjoy it's something that we are good at but it's something that we need to do in a way that is sustainable so say for example if i go to a networking event and there's a hundred people there and it's in person i'm out of my depth mm-hmm. it's too much for me um but building relationship treating people on a kind of a you're, you know, sort of you're Michelle, I'm Andrew kind of basis rather than this meeting as many people as you can is one route, is one route to success. Um, and the way that I use that to build is it helps me to build a community around my business of people that I serve by giving them value long before I try to sell to them. So you can go kind of like the hyper aggressive um, marketing methods of being in people's faces, making big promises that don't really have any substance, um, creating huge amounts of fear of missing out, which are all psychological tricks. But they burn bridges. And you have to be that kind of aggressive person to market in that way mm-hmm. whereas if you're coming at things from a more you're going to build relationships you're going to build a community around your business then you are serving people so that they you're increasing the no like and trust factor and not only do they buy for you from you once they buy from you again right. and they also tell your friend their friends about you so you're constantly trying to be of service rather than sell, 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 sell. 
And I think that a lot of neurodiverse entrepreneurs benefit from that. Because as I mentioned earlier, a lot of us are empaths, but also because um, a lot of us struggle with those kind of really hyper aggressive marketing tactics that you hear gurus and experts talking about. You know, we're not comfortable being in people's faces. We're not comfortable demanding money from people. We're not comfortable. Like when we, if we burn a relationship, we feel it. Um, so it's, I'm not going to tell you definitely build a mailing list or definitely build a LinkedIn, um, profile or definitely kind of guest on podcasts or even have your own podcast, but consider those options as well as what I call bro marketing. Um, you know, because it might be that bro marketing in your face, aggressive tactics doesn't sit well for you, but that doesn't mean that you can't experience success as an entrepreneur. It means you need to go a different route to achieve that success. And my underlying advice is really be open-minded about the approaches that you can use. Don't box yourself into a corner using one, finding it it's not working for you and kind of considering yourself a failure and chucking the towel and be open-minded, look for solutions. I like that. And I like how you, you kind of broke that down. Well, first off, when you said that most, most people who are neurodivergent are empaths, like I chuckled because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I had like that explains me to a T. People who know me know like I, there is so much sensitivity to me and and what I do and people are always like why is it such a big deal and I'm like I don't know this is just who I am and mm-hmm. I've grown in it but it's still at the core of who I am, right? And so one thing that I really 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 personally struggle with is DM marketing. I absolutely, I don't like using this word per se because it's very negative, but I hate DM marketing. Mm -hmm. Most of the reason why I hate it is because it feels very impersonal. And also because I'm overloaded with that kind of stuff every single day where someone comes into my DM going, hey, I've been looking at your page and it's really great, but I see XYZ being you know, an area you can improve. And I'm like, you don't even know me. You had no discussions with me. You know nothing about anything that I'm doing. So how can you see that? And just because, just because somebody doesn't have a ton of followers or a ton of engagement doesn't mean that they're not successful in their business. Right. And just because the opposite is true too, just because someone has hundreds of thousands of followers and a whole lot of engagement doesn't mean that they're successful. Right. So like, that kind of stuff bugs me. So one of the things that I have learned is you can do certain things where you can put out posts that they can, some people call hand raising posts where it'll create the option for somebody to let you know, Hey, I'm interested in what you're talking about. And then you get permission to send them a a message and say, Hey, like I've got some info for you sending you a message or, Hey, I got some info for you. Do you mind if I send you a message that automatically opens up the door? So that it's still DM marketing. It's just a different approach. 
approach to it, right? And yes, it yes. makes it yes. feel more comfortable. It's starting to build that relationship, right? And sometimes it can be just as simple as, you know, asking somebody to share um, an example or a story with you or something like that. And then, you know, you want to take it to the DMs or you build the met, you build the start building the relationship on the the post. And then from there, find a way to move it into DM, right? Mm -hmm. So that approach has made me feel much more comfortable with doing the DM marketing because it's not the traditional method of DM marketing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the, 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 I use LinkedIn a lot and there's two, I mean, there's two different, there's two different approaches. Um, I mean, let's call us, let, let, let's, let's be honest. We're all our, people who are on LinkedIn are on LinkedIn for one of two reasons, either because they're looking for a job or because they have a business and they have services or products that they want to sell. You're not really on LinkedIn for the social aspect of it, although mm -hmm. that can be a secondary benefit. Um, now, I get DMs from people saying to me, you know, um, I can help you with this. And I've never heard of this person before. I've never seen them before, never heard of them. And I ignore it. To be honest, I, typically I block them. Because they haven't, as you said, they haven't bothered to get to know me first. Mm -hmm. Whereas you get somebody who they might comment on something that you post on LinkedIn, or they might go straight to a connection request, but they personalize the connection request and they um, they 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 make it that they are interested in something that you're interested in so that breaks the ice not this sort of i've got this can you will you buy it off me mm -hmm. I say, I, the, the same I, I, that leaves me feeling that leaves me feeling uncomfortable as well uh, it, it's you're not interested in me as a person you're only interested in whether or not i'll buy something from you exactly and you know, like if I'm looking to buy something, uh, I can, I, I can find where to buy it myself. You know, the, the, the invest some time. I would say invest some time in building a relationship first and then see, does the person have an interest in what you want to sell? Mm -hmm. but, do it in a way that you um, do it in a way that you're dropping it into the conversation, you know. But but you want the you want the conversation and you want the relationship to continue and flourish, even if the person says no. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you can do that very easily, like you have a conversation for a while and then you say, "Look, I could help you with this if you're interested or not." But look. Even if you're not, I still want, I still enjoy chatting with you, still enjoy learning from you. It's, it's, it's the difference between approaching marketing and sales 
with a complete lack of respect for the other person or approaching it with respect and building the relationships exactly and what i would say is both of them have pluses and both of them have minuses mm -hmm. the pluses of the aggressive way are to be honest you'll probably get rich quicker um because if you bang out enough dms or emails you will get clients you know that that is the nature of things but those clients won't be ready to buy your products or services which will mean that they're getting them at a point in their journey where they can't get the benefit out of them which means they'll be disappointed by by them and means that they won't be repeat customers or clients yeah. or you can build a relationship then the then you move it to suggesting your product or service when it's apparent that the person has a need for it and they're ready for it and then you sell it to them when they can benefit from it most but you've also built up the relationship they are getting the maximum they can out of your product or service so they're going to be repeat customers so the first one is you get rich quicker but you burn bridges so it's not sustainable the second one is a slower build but it lasts the test of time and it, it's kind of like take your pick which you want to use mm -hmm. and going back to something you talked about earlier that this you know you can do the aggressive method where you tend to burn a lot more bridges especially for people like us that's going to bother us right mm -hmm. it's it's really going to bother us too because we are typically more empathetic we don't like burning bridges right yeah, yeah. it makes us feel uncomfortable because we're messing up a not messing up we're we're ending a relationship so to speak that we feel like is going to be completely unrecoverable right and maybe that's something that's not a complete truth but that's how it feels to us right whereas individuals who are um what's it called Neuro neurotypical right mm -hmm. they're perfectly okay with doing that it doesn't bother them to do that because in their mind they can just send another 50 dms every single day for the next month mm -hmm. and you know recover that way it's it's they have the energy and the focus and the fortitude to do that because they don't have other things going on that they're processing and managing and um i was going to say dealing with but i don't really like the way that that sounds um so it, it kind of goes back to that you know what we were talking about earlier where where the the energy comes in right the energy of being able to maintain and keep up with that comes into play a lot more than anything as well as how you feel about what you're doing right mm -hmm. yeah for sure i mean the the there are plenty there are plenty of neurotypical people who don't feel comfortable using the hyper aggressive um marketing methods but I definitely, I definitely advise people to use those softer, slower build tactics. Yes, I'm not going to lie to you. 
it's frustrating because it takes time to build mm -hmm. but it's like it, it it's the difference but it's the difference between building a house on sand and building a house on solid ground um you know you i go back to that idea of getting richer quicker you're not even going to get richer but you you're going to make money quicker but you're going to get into a rat race where you're constantly looking for new clients new clients new clients mm -hmm. whereas if you build a true service and when i say service i don't mean that you have to be in the service industry your service the service that you offer can be can consist of products but when you build a real service, um, you are building something that is going to last into the future. And the, first, the payoff of the frustration at the beginning is it's going to be sustainable long term. I mean, even if we take it down to the um even if we take it down to bricks and mortar local versus sort of national business um i saw i saw a poll i can't remember where but i saw a poll um in the last couple of days asking do you typically get better customer service in a local convenience store or a national business you know that has chains everywhere i would argue that you get better service in a local convenience store why because repeat custom is the lifeblood of a local convenience store business that doesn't mean that you don't get good service in a national business of course there are national there are businesses like that that excelling customer service but if that local convenience store doesn't treat people properly it doesn't it doesn't survive mm -hmm. no i i 100% um you you think about the mom and pops um all the time whether it's a store or restaurant whatever the mom and pops i mean some of those places have been standing for years mm -hmm. and have been passed down from generation to generation because of that loyalty, because of the, the value that the community sees in that place and mm -hmm. the way that they treat their customers when they come into that place. It doesn't matter whether whether it's a restaurant, a you know, a regular store or some other type of local business. It is still the same way. It's like that's why there's some businesses um, we're not going to call them out per se because we're not promoting any type of businesses, but there's certain insurance type businesses that mm -hmm. um, individuals act as independent agents for these insurance companies. Right. And they can start their own um, agency, basically, in a local area. They can have a building and everything. And you're, the people are coming in and they're connecting with these people. And that's your your individual agent. And that is oftentimes a lot more personal 
than just calling the 1-800 number yeah. and talking to them online and, and doing like talking to somebody over the phone, right? That's actually why um, there was such a challenge a couple of years ago as businesses started doing more online in the like Zoom capacity and things yeah. like that, right? There was, there was a, a, a big challenge with that. Even myself, I'm a business owner, but I do a lot of my stuff online. You have to build it in a way that still has that personalization attached mm -hmm. to it, right? It, you it you have to keep that. And and I think to your point, a lot of these big national companies lose that as they get bigger. They lose a lot of that personal interaction. They yes. they somehow forget to include that in as they're expanding, right? Yeah, but as they get bigger. They can uh, they can get away with it more, mm -hmm. you know, they, because the because the footfall is so huge, right? Um, whereas if you are if you're a if you're a small local business in a village, if you annoy the if you not annoy the residents of that village, you're finished, mm -hmm. and when you and that's why that's what i'm trying to push is the message of that sustainability over that really fast growth right and some people will want the fast growth and are quite happy being on the hamster's wheel chasing new clients all the time and that's fine but what i what I offer and what I try and help people with is building that sustainability that mm -hmm. they, of course you want growth, but you know that you your sustainable business is going to survive. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I'll, with that thought in mind, I'm going to tie this back to the financial conversation because, and, and this, we see this a lot and I'm sure you'll probably think of three or four people that you, that are, you know, uh, famous or popular that you probably have heard about has half this happens with um, people want to get rich quickly, <laughs> right? They all of a sudden want, I want lots of money. Right. And, you know, people will get into things like sports and get big sports contracts or win the lottery or things of that nature. Right. And get all this money. And then end up losing it all mm -hmm. extremely quickly, right? Yeah. Because they were not prepared for it. If you are not prepared for your wealth, it's going to be harder for you to maintain your wealth. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's something like 98% uh, of lottery winners go bankrupt mm -hmm. within three years or something of winning of winning the lottery because they've gone from having very kind of normal lives to extreme wealth mm -hmm. and don't know how to don't know how to um don't know how to handle that wealth exactly exactly and oftentimes they don't have the the thought process mm -hmm. of I need to get somebody that I know I can trust on my side to help me with 
managing this, right? And they're just mm-hmm. kind of like so excited to have all this money. And they're like, I want to spend this, I want to spend that. And then it's it's an overwhelming, you could, there's research out there how overwhelming it is to go from having not much to having so much. And then you have people reaching out to you going, what about this? And, you know, hey, you know, how are you doing? And I haven't heard from you for 10 years, but, you know, right? right? So there's yes. like a whole thing. But business can be the same way. Entrepreneurship can be the same way. So you can get that really fast growth through some of those tactics, right? I guarantee you, you're going to have some people reaching out to you. Mm-hmm all of a sudden that you haven't heard from in five years going, Hey, so, um, do you think you can help me? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And they're not going to actually be, they're going to be more interested in you helping them. Um, I'm going to say it like this, uh, for little to no cost. That's, that's a lot of times what's going to happen, right? Because they see your success and like, Oh, well, you can afford to help me out. (laughs) Um, do you know how hard I've worked over this? Do you know, you know, what all goes on in the back end? You you don't. So you yes, don't yeah, know yeah. if I, you know what I mean? And 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 even so, just because you know me doesn't mean I should give you like the okay, the, I'm going off on a tangent here. <laughs> no, no, um, but you're absolutely so, right. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are getting close to our time. Before we close out, I want to ask you if you could leave one word or phrase of encouragement for our audience, what would you say? I'd probably pick a phrase and I would say that neurodiversity is not a limitation. Mm. I like it. That's the, that's, that's, if I can't, if there's, if I impart no other message, it's that we're, we're kind of the, the societal narrative is that neuro, neurodiversity is a limitation, but it's really not. If you look, as I said towards, as I, as I said towards the start of this interview, if you look at some of the most successful people in human history, some of the people that we consider the greatest ever human beings, a lot of them were neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. So it Absolutely. really is no limitation. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I was thinking about it and it, we, we, we often put, a, we talked about earlier about the pressure, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves um, and we think we quote fail right at what we're doing. Um, how many times did Thomas Edison uh, mm-hmm. attempt to uh, create the light bulb before he was successful? There's something like five thousand. It, it was it was definitely a lot. It was a yeah, lot, yeah. <laughs> right? Also, think about Walt Disney. Yeah, yeah. Walt Disney had a couple of businesses before he came up with Disney itself. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go very well, right? And so yeah. it's it's just that concept of you know, like you talked about earlier, figure out what works best for you. Try it. If it doesn't work, it's okay. Find another strategy or find another way to do that thing. Right. So, um, I have been absolutely overjoyed to have you on here. It's been a great discussion. I can't wait, um, for everyone else to hear this conversation because I know it's going to resonate with, um, quite a few people. 
Um, for anyone who wants to connect with you and learn more about what you have to offer, how can they do that? Yeah, the best place is my website is www.andrewmcdonaldmcdonald.biz. Um, on there is portfolio and contact information and so on. Um, and also, I, as you said at the start, I've written a short book about building a marketing campaign as a neurodiverse entrepreneur that's free and it's available at www.andrewmcdonald.biz um, forward slash book perfect and just for anyone who's listening that's like oh my gosh i'm in a middle something i can't write that down totally no big deal um just check out the show notes because i will have those links right in the show notes for you um again thank you andrew i have greatly greatly enjoyed this conversation um, for anyone else um, who's listening and wants to connect with me you can find me on social media at dr.michellemarie almost every single platform with pretty much the same name also uh, check out my website at www.drmichellemarie.com and if you haven't heard i've got a second book coming out for another edition of The Joyful Entrepreneur. So check that out as well. It's on my website, it's on my social media, or you can send me a message and ask me questions about it. All right, y'all, I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Michelle. You're welcome.